I want to open with prayer for presence tonight. Source, great spirit, power, God, unified field, oneness, the all, whatever name you choose. We've been asleep too long. Let us now focus our intentions on healing our Earth Mother and all life. Give us the imagination and vision to see us through the challenges that lay before us. For we have begun the time of moving into unity consciousness, the time of the Great Awakening. Give us the imagination and inspiration to help us through these challenging times. May we be willing to open our hearts to those who are still lost in the shadows of unconsciousness. Grant us the vision to transmute all the energies of our complaints and judgments, resentments and differences, our grievances and self-righteous indignations into pure consciousness. Help us to see that as we continue to judge good versus bad, right versus wrong, that we perpetuate the separateness that causes all of the suffering we experience and keeps us floundering around in the old paradigm of duality. Let us be the light that, so that others may truly see. And may we move into our heart centers and fully realize that we have only begun to tap into the power of all our potentiality. For love really is all there is. And when we finally surrender into that one universal truth, the joy that we have so desperately searched for outside of ourselves will finally expand, expand and blossom from deep within us and move us forth into the next evolutionary stage of our beingness. We're capable of transforming into unity consciousness without having to experience more tragedy that temporarily unites us as a species. It is up to each one of us to get into our I am presence and make the commitment to be a part of tipping the energies towards that manifestation. Begin from where you are this moment. We are here and the time is now. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Uh -huh. Okay, um, welcome to Circle for Presence. We begin with a uh, silent meditation. So for those of you that haven't done meditation before, um, you can use a variety of ways. Um, one is to just focus on your breath and just kind of ride your breath like you would. I always imagine it as surfing for some reason, that you're just riding in and riding back out. And pay attention to that. If you need a mantra in your mind to help fill your mind, just use inhale, exhale. You know, you can use anything you want. Um, I've shared with you all in here before that I had a student one time that said she understood that she needed to get a mantra and had been using that for quite a while. And here it was like, I don't know how many years later, found out that mantra was what she was supposed to get, not use. She was using the word mantra for her mantra. <laughs> and I said, well, did it work? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, then, mantra was your mantra. It can be anything that works for you. Um, take a lot of the rules, maybe, that you've heard about meditation off the table. Okay? There aren't any. Um, basic things that help to assist you and 
Another way to do it is some people will do an open eye meditation, but as soon as you, you find your mind identifying things and labeling things, that's a clue for me to close my eyes because my mind is active and busy and I'm not going to be able to go to that no mind place, that no thought, the I don't know mind. Um, and then just listen, for, listen to the sounds. And for me, I experience levels of sound. So I'll hear at first this, this level of sound and then in a little bit of time I hear this whole other level of sound and then this whole other level of sound. So if you can stay with that, that can be really, really peaceful, actually. Um, allow the sounds to, like if there were sirens, if there's people that decide to open this back door and talk, and, and people do. I mean, we're at a church, there's other functions going on here, they've been known to do it before. Pay attention to the ego rising up and getting angry and resentful and saying, you know, well, they shouldn't be doing that. Don't they know we're meditating in here? <laughs> okay. So instead, stay away from the words maybe that you're hearing and just hear the sounds and invite the sound in and embrace it as a part of what you're experiencing. Another way to do it is to pretend that you're a cat waiting at a mouse hole, waiting for the mouse to come out. You know, only you're going to wait for the next thought to come up. And if you can stay perched in that moment, that has you so present that a thought doesn't come up. You know, the discipline becomes being able to stay there. So I've also used... You know, I watch Caesar Milan occasionally because I think he's pretty spiritual and a pretty present guy. And I'm not a dog person, but I really like his take on life and the way he approaches people and animals. And it's just, he's pretty phenomenal, actually. And so for a while I even used, you know, he does this thing when he's training dogs. He'll, if they start to get up when he's told them to stay, he'll go, tss, tss. So when my ego jumps up and starts wanting to go here, there, and everywhere else, I go, <laughs> stay. Um, so the last thing you want to do is push it away, make it try to go away, because you can't. That's resistance, and as soon as you do resistance, it's going to persist. So notice it, and then just come back into this moment. I'm a woman sitting in a chair, a woman sitting on the floor, a man sitting in a chair, being this moment. I'll start us with um, the bowl, and it'll be for 15 minutes, and, um, and then when the 15 minutes are up, I'll play the bowl again so that you'll know. Okay? And you're welcome to go sit somewhere else on the floor or make yourself comfortable, okay? Welcome. <laughs> okay. So hopefully uh, restful, relaxing. For some, I know it's it's still a struggle, but if you didn't get to experience getting to that place of stillness. 
just know that if you practice this, it's just kind of like going to the gym. You, you know, you keep, when you first start going to the gym, I'll speak for myself. When I first started going to the gym, <laughs> I did not want to go. The last thing I wanted to do was go to a place where I was focusing on just one thing and it wasn't fun and it wasn't what I wanted to do and I was going to get all sweaty and, <laughs> and I was going to hurt. <laughs> and some of it wasn't easy, and I just went every day. And some days I allowed myself to stay only 15 minutes. I said, okay, that's enough. At least I suited up, I showed up, I did 15 minutes worth, right? Keep going forward. And eventually what begins to happen is that change I was looking for happened. I began to look forward to going. And my body didn't hurt as much. And my body felt better on the days I went, and I could see it clearly, than the days I didn't go. Well, meditation was really, to me, no different. It's like exercising that spiritual muscle. You know, so if all you can do is five minutes a day, and that's, that's what you can do before you feel like you're gonna climb walls, then start with five minutes a day. You know? So it's just practice, just kind of keeping at it. Um, tonight's topic, stay with the facts, stay out of the story, and that facing the facts is always empowering. Um, I've really been working with this one, and so I really wasn't surprised when I got in meditation that this was what I was supposed to talk about tonight. Um, and basically, what that means is I'm going to share an example. So it's like um, if you are financially going through a really tough time, what will happen is the ego, the mind, will come up with all kinds of story around that. You know, this is bad, this is awful, oh my gosh, I'm going to be turned over to the creditors, the, you know, the bill collector people, I'm going to be, I'm going to lose my house, or I'm going to have to move, I'm going to get evicted, or they're going to shut the lights out, or I don't have enough money to buy the right food. You know, there's a story that comes up that feeds the fact, or not feeds the fact, but like is attached to this. Now, as soon as I attach to it, as soon as I identify with it, and I start believing I'm going to get evicted, I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to lose my things, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills, then that negativity, doesn't it snowball? I mean, then other stuff comes into it. Then I'll hear somebody talk about, oh, the grand vacation, they just went on to Hawaii for two weeks, and you know they did this, that, and the other thing. There's a little part of us that'll pop up and go, you know. And if we're not angry about it or resentful about it, then we're self-pitying about it. I wish I could do that. I mean, the ego really doesn't care what position it takes in order to survive. It doesn't. It'll go into self-pity. It'll go into anger. It'll go into whatever identification it has to, past or future, to stay alive. So it's one thing 
to say, I'm financially ruined. That's a story. It's another thing, and it's really empowering to say, I have $27 in my checking account. That's a fact. If that's the fact, that's the fact. That's empowering because it's, you know, this whole process that we talk about with meditation, with um, non-resistance, non-judgment, non-attachment, is not about sticking our heads in the sand and not about pretending that what's going on is not going on. You know, that's, that's not reality. And I'm using that word lightly. <laughs> um, for those of you who know I'm into quantum physics, reality is a relative question. <laughs> but aside from that, bottom line is, if all I have, if what I have is $27 in the bank, then that's a fact that I need to face. And in facing that, I'm empowered. I've got $27 in the bank, and I have this bill due, and it's $93. And that doesn't quite match up. Okay. So I will try to open myself up more in terms of being inspired for whatever ideas I might have that come along. But I think the most important piece of that is that it's not about them trying to sit down and go, how am I going to come up with the rest of that money? Because it's not about the how. As soon as we do that, we believe we're the ones in control. We've disconnected ourselves from source. And now we're not open. We're not open to any of that possibility. And every time I come up against this, and I've been coming up against it a lot lately. <laughs> so, but what amazes me is that I have been going through it for the last six weeks or so pretty fearlessly and just remaining open. And it's amazing. I have had dollars come to me out of places that I would have never guessed would have come. I, I just, it would be like, really? Okay, that'll work. <laughs> um, and it's not just about money. It's about anything. If you're in a relationship that is, you aren't connected, and that, that is essentially, anytime I believe anybody's unhappy in a relationship, it's because you're not connected. You're not connected because one or both of you are not fully present to the other in the relationship. And the ego's all about me, mine, my, I, I want, I need, I gotta have. And so that's where its focus is. And if the other person would only just get it, you know? <laughs> If they would just straighten up, if they would just understand, if they would just get sober, or if they would just quit spending all that money, or if they quit gambling, if they quit whatever. I mean, the list is endless. If they'd only listen to me, you know? He doesn't ever listen to me. And what I really suggest that you do with that, number one, 
one of the tools is to take that through Katie's work, Byron Katie's work. He doesn't listen to me. You know, is that true? And you absolutely know that it's true that he doesn't listen to you. And how do you feel and how do you react when you're believing that thought? In that moment, when you're having that thought, he doesn't listen to you. And really pay attention. Sit with that for a while. These aren't questions that are for the, the mental and the intellectual exercise. If you do that, you, you will not get a powerful result at all. So you really want to go in and kind of just meditate with it. What images come up around when you ask yourself, how do I feel and how do I react when I believe my partner doesn't listen to me? angry, I'm sad, I'm irritated, I get judgmental. I get real uncomfortable and restless. How do I react? How do I treat him or her? Not very well. I'm cold, I'm guarded, I keep my wall up, I'm not present to them. How do I treat others? And I really want you to sit with that, because I hear people a lot of times give me real quick answers like, oh, fine, with other people I'm fine. No, sit with that. And what they'll notice, what eventually they begin to see, is that with others, they're not as guarded, but they're still guarded. And they're not as present. Because they're basically walking around in the world believing they're not getting a basic need met, being listened to by their partner. And then how do you treat yourself? Probably not as great as you do when you're not having that thought. And then sitting with what would your life look like without that story. Again, it's a story. He or she doesn't listen to me. It's a story. So what would your life look like without that story? And then you get to do the turnarounds. And the first turnaround, I do opposite other and self. Opposite he does listen to me or she does listen to me. And then come up with the evidence. And if you sit with that for a while, you can always come up with the evidence. It's there. Is that the ego does not want to pull in any evidence that doesn't fit its story of the moment. It's only going to pull in evidence that supports its story. But when you sit with it and you really confront that, when you confront that story, and you're looking at trying to find out really what is the fact here, you can come up with plenty of pieces of evidence where your partner has listened to you. Other, oh, I don't listen to my partner. Hmm. Any time when you didn't listen to your partner, you were too busy. 
you were frustrated, you were tired. You know, that's why when I'm teaching NVC, one of the things that goes along with that is to let people know, you know what, I would love to listen to how your day was, but right now I am really flipping tired and I know I can't be present. So let me lay down for 20 minutes, get some dinner, and then I'll check in with you after that. And see, because it, when you share your day with me, I want to be present. I mean, who wouldn't want to hear that? But we don't. We habitually just go into this place of, oh, my partner's telling me how his or her day is. I, I should listen. I better listen. If I'm going to be a good partner. So we try, and our mind goes to the grocery list or the bill we didn't pay or the problem we had with somebody at work today or... You know, or our partner says something that pisses us off and we're, you know, wanting to react, but we're trying to be a good listener. <laughs> or we do react. We just interrupt and go, wait a minute, back up. What'd you just say there? <laughs> and so we don't really have communication happening. There's no heart-to-heart connection. Neither, neither person is present with the other. One of the things I suggested to uh, a student I was working with today was to go home and look at her daughter as if she didn't know her, as if she was a total stranger. And to also do that with her husband. Because what happens is when we've been with somebody for a while, especially partners and our children, we have this story about them. And we look through our story, and it's the filter through which we see this other person. So no matter what they do, no matter what they say, even if they're making changes, we don't see it because all we see is our story. We see them through that filter. But go home and look at your your partner or your kids or your roommate or whoever as a total stranger, you don't know them. You don't have a story about them at all. What might you discover about that person? You might discover some new facts, actually. And there's a big difference between the facts and the story that the ego is telling all the time. And then the other one is to take it to the self. So it was, my partner doesn't listen to me. My partner does listen to me. I don't listen to my partner. I don't listen to myself. How many times have you gotten that little intuitive hit? Don't do that. Don't go there. Or you need to go do this. This is what you would do. This would be so much fun. And you find out later even though you didn't listen to that voice, that that was an unsafe thing to do, and you're dealing with the consequences, or that you would have had a blast doing that, and it would have brought you pure joy, but you just decided, your head decided, no, we can't afford that, we don't have the time. Oh my gosh, we're an adult, we're all grown up, we don't do stuff like that. You know, whatever, whatever the ego comes up with. 
So how many times have you not listened to yourself? You know, I teach an intuition class, and what I tell people is, you all are already intuitive. It's your birthright. We're born with it. But then we get taught to not listen to that voice anymore. Now here's another example of staying out of the story and staying with the fact. You're at a restaurant. You ordered soup. It's supposed to be hot soup. They bring the soup to you, and it's cold. Complaining about it, being angry about it, being upset, taking it personal like they deliberately took your bowl of soup and put it in the refrigerator before bringing it out to you, is the ego. Any negativity is the territory of the ego. Just, just know that. Any negativity at all. That's a story. Why did you bring me cold soap? Well, to even go there and have that kind of complaint is there's a story behind it. And the story about it is you did this to me. <laughs> the fact is, the suit's cold. The fact is, if I say, excuse me, waiter, this soup is cold. Could you please heat it for me or bring me a hot bowl of soup? So it's not about not getting your, your needs met. It's not about being a doormat. But it's about not attaching to a story about what's going on about it. Just looking at the fact. That's where your power is. Your power is not in the complaint. Your power is not in the feeling that you've been dis diminished by somebody not treating you right, you know? I mean, because that's a story, too. How many times have you read, you know, those little poems, <coughs> those little stories that they come up with, and they'll talk about, and maybe you haven't, but, you know, I've read different things where they'll talk about the, the person that, you know, was racing in and out of traffic and almost caused, you know, five different accidents had just found out his wife and brand new son had been in a car accident and was in the emergency room. And as soon as you know that as a backstory, the judgment goes away and you're more than willing to do whatever to help this guy get there as quick as he can. But as long as you don't know the story, you, we, the ego makes up its own story. He's just being an ass, you know, we assume that he drives like that most of the time or something, or who do you think you are, or whatever it is that pops up in our heads, because there has to be something going on back there for us to have the reactions that we have. The emotion that you feel is coming directly from a thought that you've had, a judgment, a story. So, Get out of the story. Get back into present moment. Shake it off if you have to. 
And that's a lot of times where I think physical activity is really, really important. If I've noticed that I've been running with a story for a while about anything, doesn't matter what it is, and it's had me upset, it's had me irritated, it's had me angry, um, hurt, whatever, and I finally get the awareness, oh God, Karen, you're stuck in a story. Stop. Right there, the fact that I've gotten awareness, has I've already separated from it. I'm already detaching from it. <coughs> so there now is a little bit of space. And what i got to do with that space is shake off that energy because the, the body does not know the difference between real and imagined. It does not know at all. So if somebody is joking around and throws you a rubber snake, and in, there's an instant there where if you're frightened of snakes and you think that's a real snake, you scream, you jump. But also, what happens to your body? Adrenaline rush. You bet. Adrenaline and cortisol hit the system, ready for fight, flight, or freeze. Instant. The body does not know the difference between real or imagined. I could say right now, Kim, there's a huge spider behind you. <laughs> and if Kim were terrified of spiders, her body is going to react to that, even without knowing whether that's a truth or not. Even if I've joked with her and pulled that prank before because our bodies don't know the difference. So, whatever story I'm telling myself about anything, my body's reacting to. So if I've gotten upset with somebody, if I'm feeling hurt, I'm contracted in here, my heart's constricted, my breathing's probably a lot more shallow, my blood pressure's probably up, right? We make some of us make really poor food choices. I do. That's really when I'm reaching for the crap. You know, we have lots of ways that we medicate ourselves. You know, there's alcohol, there's drugs, there's cigarettes, there's um, food, there's, and those are just substances. Um, there's um, television and internet and just staying busy. Ever known anybody whose house just, I mean, I love my sister, but her house, Better Homes and Gardens can walk in there anytime and begin taking pictures. Serious. It's immaculate all the time. And back in the day, when some of us can remember smoking was okay in our houses and stuff, and she had ashtrays out and, 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 uh, but you tapped an ash in it, and she didn't wait for the rest of the cigarette. It was wiped out. <laughs> That's called busy addiction. And that busy addiction is really no different. I mean, in, in the list, and I'm not picking on busy addictions, but, but the list is endless. We turn anything into an addiction. It becomes a compulsive, obsessive pattern of behavior. We lay down a neuron tra neural track in the brain and that neural tract, after a while, is used to a particular combination of dumped neurotransmitters into it. 
and it likes that combination. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies have absolutely nothing on this. Nothing. Just try stopping a behavior. Yeah, try stopping being busy. Yeah, it's an, right, and, and, and part of what that does is it gives you the illusion of safety and security. It gives you the illusion of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if, if you ever wanted to face that, embrace it, one of the things I would suggest is that when you feel that anxiety come up, because that's your cue, right, to start getting busy <laughs> and doing that thing, because we all have the cues, is to take five minutes, just, just for five minutes, go, wait a minute, I'm just going to do something different for five minutes, and then I'm going to go ahead and do what I'm comfortable with. So give yourself permission. If we, the more we resist something, if we resist it, what? It persists. I don't care what it is, every time, all the time, with equal power. So you're not going to want to try and resist it, but just experiment with it. Sit down for five minutes and just focus on your breathing and make sure that you're breathing from down here. <laughs> and then just see how it feels different than when you do get up in five minutes and start doing the busy stuff. Are you Notice, am I doing it a little slower? Am I doing it without at least that intensity behind it? Is my body a little more relaxed? You know, stuff like that. So, yeah, and that's really what, what any of, of confronting addictive behaviors is about. But we go to those addictive behaviors because we're buying into the story. We're buying into the story of chaos and that it's somehow going to damage me and hurt me. And that if I lose control, that'll be it. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. That's a story. And your ego is telling you a story and you're buying into it. And guess what? Your body does not know the difference that it's imagined in your head. It's going along with the program. So what happens is, this is where most degenerative... De I can never say that word. Degenerative... Anybody know what I'm trying to say? Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Those diseases, <laughs> cancer, heart disease, stuff like that, that's where those come from because of the inflammation, the constant inflammation in the body. So every time we go into stress, our body's inflamed. It doesn't know the difference, right? So it's kicking up the adrenaline, the cortisol, muscles are tightening. I mean, everything is being impacted. And if that is over and over and over again, year after year after year after year, how can we not expect it 
to be impacted, right? And then that's a whole other story because it'll get impacted specifically in an area of the body, in the chakra area, that is specific to what it is we are focused on, what our story is. If we're stuck in a whole lot of resentment and bitterness and we can't, cannot forgive, cannot let go of, then the disease or the injury that we sustain is going to be in fourth chakra. It's going to be to the heart, to the lungs, to the upper back, the shoulders, the arms, the hands, something like that. Okay, but that's a whole nother deal. So question the story. As soon as you feel negativity, that's your clue if you can get the awareness. What is the story that I've got about this, that I'm having this reaction? Oh, so-and-so shouldn't have done that. Don't they know any better? You just don't treat people like that. I don't treat her like that. That's a story. The fact is, I don't treat her like that. And right now, she's treating me like that. That's the fact. So then I can ask myself, do I need to take this personal? Isn't it really more about the other person? They're trying to get some need or want met, and they're just doing what they're doing. Questions? Comments? And the thing is, is that, you know, we're not alone. 99% of the planet functions this way. And that's the sad part, is that we think, you know, if we could just be normal, and the fact is we don't realize really how normal we are, because normal is what the majority is doing. That's what normal is. So the more... I have heard how abnormal I appear to be to other people, the more I kind of go, okay, I'm making progress. <laughs> this is a good thing. <laughs> so when you're in a story, look at the story and call it that. This is just a story. My ego is creating a story so that it can survive. Because the ego cannot survive in the, pa in, the, in the present moment. It needs the past or it needs the future. So it's going to be guilt or shame or regret or remorse or fear and anxiety and all that stuff about the future. Hmm? Yep, all of it. All of it. In order for it to survive. That is its only mission, is to survive. It does not want to know itself, and it does not want to die. Period. So it will it will tell us anything. Somebody doesn't care about us that should. Somebody doesn't listen. Everything you've been doing, I've been doing this for 50 some years. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. Like, We've done it our whole lives. And, and, and you work on it, and pretty soon you're like in the middle of it going, oh crap, there it is again. I went to get my car washed this evening, and the little, what used to be five, now it's six. <laughs> and I go through there, and I said, you got to take my rubber things up here. And so that irritated her. So instantly I was like, judging her immediately. What in the hell is her problem? In my head. Didn't say it. So <laughs> she puts a little stickers on and then she goes and comes back behind my car and she says, um, I just want you to know we're not responsible her falls off. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she says, your bumper's loose. And I said, no, my bumper is not loose. Yes, it is. And I said, you mean the little fence or the side panel is pushed in? Yes. I said, that's not my bumper. And then I really like, it's not my bumper. My bumper's fine. <laughs> and then she got more angry at me because I pushed some buttons, definitely. And I um, did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. the ego, her ego was doing this and your ego popped right up and said, come on. <laughs> and I went to the car wash and I got out and one of my rubber strips was in the wash. She didn't taper right. See, she didn't taper right. And I'm like, so my first thought is, I have to deal with her again. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I waited until I cleaned inside of the car, and then I went to her, and I kindly just said, I think my little rubber strip's in there. And she goes, oh, okay. So both of us, like, were totally different. It was really weird. Shifted. <laughs> really weird. <laughs> but, but I was aware of it the whole time. That is awesome, Kim, because when you can, well, yeah, because in, in that awareness, there was some space there. So even though it continued, your awareness is what next time is going to slow it down for you so that you can not go there. Or that you'll, you'll get the first, well, what's up with her? And then you go, yeah, I'm not going there. That's just a story. Remember how that felt last time? Because you had all that awareness this time. Yeah. Yeah. But we get taught this. Our the world functions this way. Out of the first three chakras, that's where it functions. It, it's in, she looked at me about the cleaning house thing. I seriously, this is this is funny, but it was real. My mother taught me that a clean house is a cooler house. So when it's hot, you have to clean your house, and it will be cooler. And I believe that. And and clean the house, and then you can sit down and be sick because you won't worry about the house being dirty. Way inbred inside of me. I'm not kidding you. I trust me. I absolutely believed it all my life. Yeah. Well, when you're little. Okay, here's the deal. From the time, from the time, you know, from, well, before birth, but let's just say from birth to six or seven years old, we are literally like a brand new computer. That everything that is coming at us, we have no filter, we have no boundary, we have no knowing that this person is full of poo poo. And, and so not to listen to them, or that this is not true. We don't know any of that. 
So anything that comes at us, and especially anything with consistency, is downloaded into us and becomes a part. I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be changed, but it does mean that it takes some time and some patience and some working with it. You know, and that's where, that's why I recommend Katie's stuff so much, because that's where I have found the most success, especially using it as a meditation. You know, when people use it and they go, oh yeah, I've used Katie's stuff, and blah, 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 and I'll say, how do you do that? Well, in my head, I know I can, no, if, for one, if you do it in your head, you're doing it too fast. The ego's in charge. It's all intellectual and mental, and you're not going to get any results at all. You need to sit down, and if you can't have, if you don't have somebody to facilitate you through it, the one advantage of having somebody to facilitate you is that you can go total right brain. You can go totally into that imaginative, emotional, intuitive, meditative place and just really follow the questions with it. Because you've got somebody that's staying in left brain making sure you stay on track. Okay? But if you're doing it yourself, and I've done a ton of it of my own work on myself, is that I write it down. Because paper and pencil slows it down and it takes it out of here. And it's huge. So I would even I would even say to take, you know, a, a cleaner house as a cooler house through the work and just see what happens. Just for grins and giggles, I would take it through. You know, just to see what might happen with that by the time I got through the turnarounds. Yeah, well, You relate to that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's not, no. <laughs> Well, and, and I would question the story, and I would, <laughs> but I would question, I would question the story that's behind that because there's a story that is instigating the need to do that. Yeah. Well, the other piece that happened with that is that look at the movement you were doing in cleaning your car. You were expending, you were expending that energy. Think about it this way. You know, Eckhart talks about this story in one of his books. Um, 
ducks. Have you ever gone to a pond and fed ducks? Mm -hmm. and, and two ducks will bump into each other and they'll have a little squabble and they'll both swim away from each other and kind of be flapping their wings real furiously and then they're fine. And I really think that's what they're doing. They're just shaking off all that stuff they took on and, and now they're okay. Yeah. Do something physical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I really think that doing something physical is is was part of what shifted that for you, honey. Besides the fact that I think that awareness was awesome. You know, because six months ago, would you have had that awareness? And what would have happened afterwards? <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. That's what would have happened. You would have gotten angry. You would have acted out on that. And then afterwards, you would have felt like crap. And so see the progress. See the progress. Because the ego does not want you to see the progress. It's going to just still jump to the negative and say, ah, well, you're still doing it. You know, because it will do anything. It will tell any story to keep us in negativity. And dealing with just the fact about something, like I said, that's where our power is. I can deal with that. There's no emotion there. I'm not all wound up and spun out. So it's easy for me to handle it from that place. You know? Like when you finally did, you finished cleaning the car and you went to say something to her, it wasn't feeling as overwhelming as it was when you first had that realization that she hadn't done it. And you were missing the piece and it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I seriously thought about just leaving it. <laughs> I didn't want it. I, it was like I, was, I didn't want to get, I didn't want to. You didn't want to go there. Go to her again. Yeah. But I didn't, so that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's huge. And that's what I would, you know, really suggest, invite you to, to sit with that, to focus on that piece. That's the huge piece. Well, why is it fun? That's a story. Why is it fun? Why is it fun? Because I'm right and you're wrong. Okay. And why is that fun? I have no idea. Yeah, you're trying to meet a need, but what? What? Who's trying to meet the need? The ego. The ego. Yeah. Ooh. Only the ego will decide right and wrong. I'm right and you're wrong, and I have to prove it. I have to come out the winner. That's what I love about Marshall Rosenberg's work and why I teach nonviolent communication because, you know, he says that I have begun violent communication. If, before I even talk to you, I'm believing that I'm right and you're wrong. I have begun violent communication. And I believe that's true because at that point, I'm coming from the ego. I am not coming from a heart space. I am not open to hearing what's going on with you. And we tell ourselves stories all the time. 
I've, I've shared this in here before. Because of my past history, I had a really hard time with even anything that came close to looking like child abuse. And I would, I had, would have a huge reaction to it. And I, and I never did it. My reaction usually wasn't very quiet either. We'll just say that. And in the store, I, I would see somebody, you know, jerking their little kid along, you know, and, and we're talking, you know, a little toddler who's having to reach their arm up like this to hold mommy or daddy's hand, and they're, they're getting jerked. Well, can you imagine what's going on to their shoulder? Well, those are the kinds of things. So I didn't even have to see, you know, what most people would define as child abuse to register it as child abuse and react to it. And when I started, well, when I started working with this stuff and shifting it and changing it and looking at my story around it and how my story was impacting the way I was perceiving my world and then how I was reacting to what I was perceiving, um, I had that experience where this guy was yelling at his, um, she was maybe three, and she looked dirty, you know, like she hadn't had a bath in a couple of days, and her hair was matted, and, and he was yelling at her and telling her, you know, and, and, not, and not saying very nice things to her, and at one point he grabbed her by the upper arm and shook her, and in the past, I would have been in his face. I mean, I would have been doing everything but touching him because, of course, being arrested for assault it was not something I wanted to experience again. So I didn't go there anymore. <laughs> so I would just really get in his face. Well, instead what I did was I walked over and I just said, excuse me, I noticed that you're having a lot of, of difficulty. And I, I just wanted to know, would it be helpful for you to shop? And I mean, because I've had a toddler in the store with me, and I know it can be frustrating. And if, if I push your basket and I keep her entertained while you get what you need, I'm not in a big hurry. And he looked at me first like I was crazy, and then his eyes welled up. And I asked him, are you okay? And he said, my wife's in the hospital. I took her in yesterday morning, and this was the next day in the evening to have our second baby. They both almost died. And the babysitter can't stay with her anymore. And I came home to a filthy house. She didn't do anything. She didn't even bathe, you know, the, the, the little girl, I can't remember her name now. Anyway, he was beside himself and realized he needed to get to the store to get food because he didn't have a meal to put together for her. And yet, what would most of our stories have been about him and the judgments that we would have had? I know what mine was, that he was an SOB, he was a mean dad, that he couldn't even take care of her or give her a bath. And that would have been fact to me. I would have been operating with that as if it were the truth. And he allowed me to walk, push the cart, and I entertained her. And he was able to get his groceries. 
And his whole energy shifted by the time we got up to the checkout. And I, to this day, believe simply that it was just because somebody didn't judge him and they offered to give a simple bit of help that didn't cost me anything, you know? So, you know, it's like the example I used earlier with the guy that's racing in and out of traffic. We've got no idea what's going on with anybody at any given time. And one of the things that I love to do, and I didn't in the beginning, but I love to do it now, as soon as I notice a story or a judgment, I'll ask myself, can you find that in you, Karen? So when someone's rude to me, and I, that's a story, that they're rude to me, I'll go, okay, if we're going to play with this story, let's play with it this way. Have you ever been rude to anyone, Karen? Oh, yeah, I have. I have. All I had to do was get too tired, too hungry, somebody get in the way of one of my many addictions, <laughs> and it was easy for me to be rude and dismissive and cold and impersonal. You know? Any other comments or questions? <laughs> Am I going to validate parking? <laughs> I think it's free out there. <laughs> Do you think it's the norm that we're all egomaniacs? <laughs> yep, I do. I absolutely do. Because we have been raised in a culture that taught us to go there. Part of it is, Ram Das is one of my favorite teachers too, and he talks about, I remember a student in one of his classes asking, um, gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could raise our children so that they don't ever develop the ego? And what do you think about that, Ram Das? What do you think about if we didn't, if we never developed this ego, this thing that we have to then, you know, question and confront and sit with and constantly practice getting in the present moment. And he had a really interesting answer. He said, well, number one, good luck with that because <laughs> you live in a world where, you know, you may be the most present parents in the world, but you can't isolate your child. You know, they're going to be going out there in the world and they're going to be impacted by everything that they experience. And plus, they have their own contract. You know, really, our children don't belong to us. And, um, and he said, and this was the interesting piece, he said, but I absolutely believe that we have to develop this ego because it's in the development of the ego and then eventually becoming aware of it and working at becoming totally present so that it no longer can exist, at least fully, that is what is evolving us. And that we literally come from a place where there is no ego. You know, we're a drop of water in that ocean that is source, that is whatever you want to call it, higher power, God, great spirit, whatever. All the names are just sounds our mouths make and it's all the same thing. So 
if if that's true, then what would be the point in coming to third dimensional reality? What would be the point in coming to Disney Earth <laughs> and signing up for all this fun and entertainment? So I think I think part of it is that it is normal um, that everybody is strung out on their egos, some way more than others. You know, everybody's going to have a, a different view of it. But I have known people who were multimillionaires who were actually more present and more spiritual than some people who were claiming to be spiritual and had given up everything. Because their egos took that on as an identity and were running around acting like this is the way to be and you all are messed up because you're going to nine to five jobs, you're paying taxes, and you're getting did, 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 did. So they were full of judgment and they, you know, so they had bigger couple of the multimillionaires that I knew that were really very present people. I mean, they still had a lot of ego and still had ego to deal with, but a lot less than some of those spiritual people that I knew. You know, so the outside trapping, those are just roles that we play. And if we identify to those roles, like the role I'm playing right now is a spiritual teacher. It's just a role. I don't identify with it. I don't, hmm? Yeah, I don't have attachment to it. It's like, it's not, it's not who I am. Yeah, tons of pieces to the pie. And I'm not attached to any of those either because it, the bottom line is what I know today to be absolutely true because I've experienced it is that I really am, you, you know, you hear that saying, oh, she should get a life. <laughs> or I need to get a life, or we refer to my life. You can't have a life. You can't. You know why? Because you are life. You already are life. You are life expressing itself as you. So see, I know that piece. I've experienced that in its fullness. I've, I've, in different meditative states, um, and also when I went through a surgery where I was supposed to come out of the recovery room within about three hours, and nine hours later they were still trying to bring me back. And I was in this other place where I was talking to these elders in this table, uh, at this table, and really getting to have a choice. And I was really angry that they were giving me a choice because I wanted them to make the decision. <laughs> but what I saw was that all those roles I had played as, as daughter, student, as sister, as lover, as girlfriend, as wife, as mother, as teacher, as counselor, as musician, as all the myriad roles that I've played, that they were just roles. They were just parts. Sort of like sitting in an acting school 
and the teacher goes around and hands everybody a different part that they're going to play that day. And that's all it is. And that you are life. And you can't find love. You're not going to find love anywhere with anyone because you already are love. And that's what was so awesome for me to experience because I know that is a truth today, a truth with a capital T. That we are life, we are love, expressing itself as whatever it is. And in this time and in this culture, we have these judgments about it. And we get locked up in those judgments and we get attached to our roles and we get attached to our ideas about those roles. If you're a mother, mother should do this. Mothers shouldn't be drug addicts and alcoholics and criminals like I was. That didn't fit this culture's idea of motherhood. Well, or any other cultures that I'm aware of either. Now <laughs> 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 that I think of it. <laughs> might be one on another planet out there that that fits. Who knows? <laughs> I'm open. But bottom line is, we put the shoulds and the shouldn'ts on it. So guess what? Even in, you know, there's a, there's a part in Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book of AA that talks about, you know, how back in the day it was only men. And, you know, what I know from my studies of that is that women were too ashamed to admit they had this disease because it was not okay. It wasn't just okay by everybody else's standards. They lived those same standards. They didn't believe themselves that it was okay. So they couldn't, if I admit it, then look what a horrible person I am. That's why I recommend to people, you have to take the judgments off. You have to get rid of the words good, bad, right, and wrong. If you keep using those words and how you view the world, then it's also how you view yourself. And if that's how you view yourself, you're continuing self-abuse. And because of that, there will continue to be things that you will not see, simply will not be able to see, because you have such a judgment about how bad that is to be that, whatever that is, that you won't allow yourself to see it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because especially if you can recognize in that honesty that no matter what you tell me about your past, that doesn't exist anymore. That doesn't exist anymore. And that's not who that person is now. And now is all we've got. So in taking a look at dropping the story and sticking with just the fact, what's the facts? And it gets harder when it has to do, say, with a loved one, you know? It's a little easier when it has to do with a thing, like instead of the story of I'm broke and I'm ruined and I'm going to lose everything to, no, that's just a story. I've only got $27 in the checking account. 
That's a fact. But it's different when it's with a loved one. How do you do it with a loved one? How about they're just a woman or they're just a man doing this right now in this moment? And I know in my heart of hearts that it truly doesn't have anything to do with me. And one of the things that I began to practice was if this person, if in my last marriage, I would ask myself, if he were not here, what would I do? If he were not here, what would I do? And I'd think, oh, well, you'd call this girlfriend and you'd go to a meeting maybe, or you'd go to a movie with this friend, or you'd go for a walk. Well, then go do that. Our concept. But we get stuck in this belief, especially when we're in relationships, that somehow we can be in control. And it just, at least for me, that has just really always amazed me. Um, This I thought was really interesting. These are the these are just some of the stories, and some of you may look at them or relate to them. Um, and this is stripping away all the outside stuff, so you can see what the real story is that we're telling ourselves. Of course, and we fluff it up, and we've got all kinds of other details in there. But there is something that needs to happen in my life before I can be at peace. And I resent that it hasn't happened yet. Maybe my resentment will finally make it happen. Something happened in the past that should not have happened, and I resent that. If that hadn't have happened, I would be at peace now. Something is happening now that should not be happening, and it is preventing me from being at peace now. Those are all stories. Because absolutely, regardless of any of our experiences, past, present, or what we think should have happened, or what should be happening now, we can be at peace right now. That's our choice. You have so much more power than you think. You should do this or that so that I can be at peace. And I resent that you haven't done it yet. Maybe my resentment won't make you do it. Something that you or I did, said, or failed to do in the past is preventing me from being at peace now. What you are doing or failing to do now is preventing me from being at peace. So those are just some of the, the ideas that, you know, in looking at them, I think can be really exposing of, of the stuff that our ego throws up at us. And then I just wanted to read this first paragraph of a poem from Hafiz because I really liked it. It just kind of spoke to me with the whole topic tonight. Um, fear is the cheapest room in the house. I would like to see you living in better conditions. <laughs> and then what I want to close with is this one. And this one 
is the, is the whole thing about, you know, staying with the facts and staying out of the story. I cannot sit still with my countrymen and chains. I cannot act mute, hearing the world's loneliness crying near the beloved's heart. My love for God is such that I could dance with him tonight without you, but I would rather have you there. Is your caravan lost? It is, if you no longer weep from gratitude or happiness, or weep from being cut deep with the awareness of the extraordinary beauty that emanates from the most simple act and common object. My dear, is your caravan lost? It is if you can no longer be kind to yourself and loving to those who must live with the sometimes difficult task of loving you. At least come to know that someone untied your camel last night, for I hear its gentle voice calling for God in the desert. At least come to know that Hafiz will always hold a lantern with galaxies blooming inside and that I will always guide your soul to the divine warmth and exhilaration of our beloved's death. So with that, a um, couple of quick announcements. Um, a Healing Touch certification class begins September 19th. It's three evenings and a whole weekend, a full Saturday and a Sunday. I meant to bring all over the flyers for everything and obviously forgot them all. Um, there's seats open for that. So if you are wanting information about that and interested in getting certified in Healing Touch, email me. If you're not on my email list, there's, a, there's paper over there. You can get on my email list. If you don't have my email address, the cards, my business cards have it on it. Um, next Tuesday, the 11th, is the Byron Katie practice night. The questions and the meditative practice I was talking about earlier when I used the example of my partner won't listen to me. If you're interested in learning that, um, and if you get on the email list, then you'll, you'll get the notice for that, and you're welcome to come. That's next Tuesday. And also, I'm available for one-on-one -on -one appointments. Um, and then let's close with the Lord's Prayer, but this is the original Lord's Prayer that was translated directly from the old Aramaic to present-day English. O cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration, soften the ground of our being and carve out a space within us where your presence can abide. Fill us with your creativity so that we may be empowered to bear the fruit of your mission. Let each of our actions bear fruit in accordance with our desires. Endow us with the wisdom to produce and share what each being needs to grow and flourish. Untie the tangled threads of destiny that bind us as we release others from the entanglements of past mistakes. Do not let us be seduced by that which would divert us from our true purpose, but illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. For you are the ground and the fruitful vision, the birth power and fulfillment as all is gathered and made whole again. And thank you so much for being here so that I can teach 
what I most need to learn. <laughs> and what's your name? Johnny. 